There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, that's kind of telling it the way it is. Then how come we as believers continue to fall for his lies? And I'll tell you, I think there's a very plausible answer for this, an explanation, because his lies often come in the form of half-truths. The so-called half-truth is one of Satan's most diabolical inventions. When a liar throws a little truth in with a lie, we often latch on to that little fleck of the truth and figure that if that part's true, then the rest is also true. In fact, it's like putting a drop of water into a quart of gasoline and concluding that it's safe to drink. Half-truths are not true, nor are 99% truths. Pastor Steve Kreloff will tell us about that and some other ways that Satan tries to trip us up today on Verse by Verse. Welcome. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the midst of a series of lessons from Chapter 3 of Genesis. It's about the fall of man. Now, they say that experience is the best teacher, and that might be true for painting or welding. How about defusing bombs? Want to try that? Hmm, I think not. On an even more serious note, Satan convinced Eve that God was holding out on her and that she needed to actually eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and thus experience it rather than listen to her maker. Well, experience can be a brutal teacher and never more so than in this case. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Here's Pastor Steve. Last week, we began a two-part study of the temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the reason we've, we've had this over two weeks is because we want to be very thorough on this. I don't, uh, I don't want us to just look at this as a historical event that is only good for history and to just know the facts about it, because that's not the case. There are practical and abiding applications for us today. This is very, very relevant. And the New Testament a number of times speaks about this. It speaks, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that Eve was deceived, not Adam. We'll deal with that another week. Eve was deceived, not Adam. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, I am concerned about you Corinthians because just as Eve was deceived by Satan, so I don't want your minds to be deceived by the evil one. And so what, what Satan has done with Eve, what he did with Eve, is what he continues to do with us. You see, the schemes and tactics of Satan have not really changed. In principle, his approach to Eve is the same as his approach to us today as he tries to get us to sin. Now, last week, we looked at two steps of the pattern or the process of temptation, because the pattern is seen in three carefully plotted steps by the devil. This is the pattern. We saw last week, step number one is, and you have an outline on this, so you can follow, but I'm, I'm just bringing you up to uh, speed here. Step number one was deception. We noticed in Genesis chapter 3, it says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. From Eve's perspective, this was just a snake. Didn't look like it does today. It must have been very beautiful. It must, it, it, and I, su- I suggested last week it may even have been a winged creature. We don't know. It certainly did not slither on its belly. That's part of the curse. It was a beautiful creature. And uh, Eve looked at, at this serpent and uh, did not realize it was Satan. Did not realize what was going on. But that is a pattern. Satan is a deceiver. He is deceptive. And his temptations are always 
cast in, in the sense of appearing to be something he is not. Jesus spoke about this when he said that some teachers are wolves in, in sheep's clothing. That's deceptiveness. Be careful about that. Be careful. When Satan tempts you, it's often in, in the sense of something that looks good, that looks beneficial, that you really don't see how evil and wicked it is. He is a deceiver. He is a deceiver, and we need to be on guard for that. So that is the first step, deception. Second step is doubt. Doubt. The deceiver wants to doubt us, and that's exactly what he did with with Eve. He says in verse 1, he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you you shall not eat from any or every, could be translated, every tree of the garden? Now, this is a suggestion designed to cast doubt on the very goodness of God. It's as if he was saying, and I said this last week, you got to be kidding me, Eve. God really told you that? I don't believe it. God's holding back something from you. Did God say you can't have all of the trees? Is God holding back something good for you? And this is the principle and the pattern that Satan tempts us with. The devil's emphasis is always on what you don't have rather than on what God has given you. It's always on, look what he's holding back. Well, if you had this, you'd really be happy. If you had this, you'd be fulfilled in life. Just this one thing and you would live the way you want to live. That is the the devil's approach. Always to cast doubt on the goodness of God. If God really had your best interests at heart, why would he bring this into your life? Or why would he withhold this from your life? God must not care about you. It's what he's doing to us today in terms of temptation. But there's a third step in this whole process, and we want to focus on this uh, this morning, and that is denial. He denies the word of God. He doesn't simply cast doubt on the word of God. He absolutely denies the word of God. Notice verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. Now, just prior to the statement by the devil, Eve, Eve had repeated to the devil what God had, had told her and Adam. We read this in verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, this is after the serpent said, has God really said this? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat freely. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. God had told them, this first couple, that all the fruit, fruit-bearing trees in the Garden of Eden, were theirs to eat. You could have all of them except one. One you can't. There stood a tree in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the Garden of Eden, that they were forbidden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Chapter 2 speaks about this. God said in chapter 2, if you eat from this tree, you will die. You will surely die, he said. But now, after hearing Eve repeat God's word, Satan very boldly says, it's not true. It's not true. God has told you a lie. You won't die if you eat this fruit. And he very boldly says that. This is an outright denial of the word of God. It is an outright lie. God said you will die. The devil says you will not die. Now, he's already cast doubt on God's word. Has God really said? Now the devil goes for the kill. He denies the integrity 
of the word of God. First, he questioned God's goodness. Now he denies God's integrity. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and, um, and think through several, several things about this denial of God's word. I want to think through this uh, on two levels, two levels. Level number one is the principle of denying the word of God. It's the issue of God being truthful, God being truth, and Satan being a liar. There are actually two approaches to this. With unbelievers, Satan tends to, um, to get them to, to kind of whisper in their ear in one way or another that the Bible is not true. The Bible is, is not true. It can't be depended upon. It's full of errors, that it's really not God's word. It's a bunch of fairy tales and, uh, and so forth. But with believers, he's a lot more subtle than that. Because actually, as you look at the text, he didn't deny that God said this. He didn't actually say, this is not the word of God. What he said to Eve is, God is not telling you the truth. Oh, it's his word, all right, but he can't be trusted. He doesn't speak truth. God has ulterior motives for why he said this. And I think that's very, very important for us to understand because we are living in a day and age in which uh, this temptation is, is rampant. There are believers, people who will say from good fundamental evangelical, conservative churches that we believe the word of God, but they really don't believe the word of God. They really don't. They may believe a doctrinal statement about the word of God, but there is a thought that the word of God may be good to tell us about salvation, but it is not something we can trust to raise our kids on. We really don't believe that God knows what he's talking about there, that what God has told us about raising children or a marriage or finances or ethics, morality, those things, we really don't believe that God is telling us absolutely the truth. And therefore, we run to, uh, to all kinds of other things to help us, counselors, psychology, psych- uh, psychiatrists, to help us through this. Why? Because I want to suggest to you it's the same old thing. We really don't believe that God knows what he's talking about in all areas. Yes, I believe that if I trust him for salvation, I'll be saved. But do we really believe that when God speaks on any subject that what he has said is absolute truth and it absolutely he can be trusted and depended upon for those areas? I think that's really the issue for us. That is a temptation that Satan throws at us. There's so much, for example, on marriage out there that Christians run to get all kinds of marriage counseling when the word of God is sufficient on that subject. And yet, Apparently, we, we don't believe it. I think this is part of that, that very temptation. Yes, God said this, Eve, but I'll tell you why he said it to you, because he really doesn't know what he's talking about. He's holding something back for you, and we'll look at that in just a, a few moments. So we want to, first of all, establish in, in, in this sense that understand the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said this, very, very clearly. Listen to our Lord's words. John eight forty four. He said to a group of religious leaders, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, that's kind of telling it the way it is then how come we as believers continue to fall for his lies? And I'll tell you, I think there's a very plausible answer for this, an explanation, because his lies often come in the form 
of half-truths. They often come in the form of half-truths. For example, notice Genesis 3, verse 5. Notice verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, you know what? There is some truth to this. There is some truth to this. Their eyes would be opened, absolutely. And Eve would have a certain knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve did get uh, get uh, a certain knowledge of good and evil. Yes, their eyes would be open. They did know good and evil, but not as God. He lied to them. He deceived them. Not as God. They would know good and evil as sinners. And you know what? That is a horrible knowledge. That is a horrible knowledge. What they would know is in light of their own sinfulness, not in light of God's righteousness. They would have experiential knowledge of evil. That's horrible. God never wanted that for them. But even though there's some truth in this, you could say technically there's some truth to what Satan said. It was a colossal lie because it distorted the truth. His half-truths can, can, can really concealed a falsehood. Do you understand that? A half-truth is a total lie because it totally distorts the truth. And that's why many of us, as, as even believers, fall for Satan's lies. And that's what you and I need to be careful about because Satan tempts us by distorting the truth. In fact, there are, there are believers, there are some born-again believers who actually are in cults and false religions because there is some truth in all of that. And they are so undiscerning, they can't figure that out. His lies are subtle. Understand that. Satan doesn't tell you usually things that you just go, well, that's really obvious. It's not that obvious always. But on the other hand, Jesus Christ is absolute truth. Absolute truth. He will never mislead you. He will never deceive you. He will never give you a misleading statement. There are no half-truths with him. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he meant I am the whole truth. In Titus chapter 1, the in verse 2, the apostle Paul says, God who cannot lie. God is not even capable of lying. He says, there's something God can't do. Absolutely, God can't sin. God can't lie. And this is why when, when the Hebrews in the New, New Testament era, when the, when the Jewish believers were experiencing persecution and the book of Hebrews flows out of that, they were persecuted, they were ridiculed for their faith. They had pressure from the unsaved Jewish community to abandon Jesus Christ, go back to the safe havens of Judaism. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. When you are tempted... When you are tempted to discard the word of God and put in place your own rationalization, the wisdom of this world, your own thinking, you need to remember that God is faithful. And you and I are tempted every day to abandon the word of God. Not to deny the orthodoxy of the scriptures being inspired and infallible and inerrant, but the absolute truth that God can be trusted in all areas. That what he says in his word, he he means and he knows what he's talking about. Eve needed to make a choice, just as as we do, and uh, when we're tempted to not believe God's word. You see, Eve had never experienced death. All she knew was what God said about it. But you know what? That's all she needed. That's all she needed, and that's all we need. But she wasn't content with God's revelation. She wanted to be her own authority. She wanted her eyes open. She wanted, it says in verse 6, it was pride. 
It was why she wanted to be wise. It says in verse six, and I'll go back over this. But when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She wanted that wisdom. She wanted knowledge of good and evil. In other words, she set aside divine revelation for her own feelings and her mind. And they became the final authority. And she wanted to be like God. And, and keep in mind this Eve would never have done this had she not opened the door for doubt. She didn't just jump to this. There's usually not, you don't usually fall into sin. You kind of slide into it. It's a process. Had she not first entertained doubt, she would have never been in this situation. So let me just clarify something here. Is it, is it wrong to always doubt? I don't think so. Not if the doubt is a legitimate intellectual struggle that you still submit to the Lord. You still have an attitude of, Lord, I don't understand this and I'm struggling here, but I believe you. I, I just help my, my doubts now. I think that's legitimate. But people who throw off the scriptures and deny the authority of the word of God usually are not in that kind of situation. In fact, they're not in that situation. They do it because they don't want God's authority over them. They really don't want God's authority over them. There is something else working in their hearts. And I'd like you to keep your place in Genesis, but look all the way in the back of your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me show you something that I saw several years ago that really uh, helped me to understand about unbelief and denying the word of God and why there are so many in our culture who would come across as, as intellectually sophisticated and uh, academically high who deny the word of God. It is not simply, uh, it's not really an intellectual issue. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, he's talking here about mockers. He's talking about those who mock the word of God. And he says, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Now, these are not people who simply deny the scripture. They mock, they ridicule. But notice this, why do they mock? Well, there's a little statement at the end of verse 3 that I think explains a lot following after their own lusts. They follow after their own lusts. There is something here. In other words, they have desires that, that they don't want the restraints of the word of God on their desires. They have lusts and desires that they want to throw off the shackles of the word of God and do their own thing. In a uh, book by uh, Richard Dehan, his little commentary on studies in Second Peter, which is excellent, he writes this, a statement by Aldous Huxley, widely read and famous atheist of this century, confirms this point. Late in his life, he freely admitted that his dislike for the scriptures and his derisive attacks upon the Christian faith stemmed from his desire to be free to sin. His objections were not philosophical or theological, for his underlying intent was to escape feelings of guilt. He wrote this, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning, consequently assumed that it had not and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning for this world is not concerned exclusively with the problem of pure metaphysics. He's also concerned to prove there's no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. That's from Aldous Huxley's book, Ends and Means. And that's where Eve was. That's what Eve was being tempted to do, and eventually she did fall into that. She didn't want the word of God over her. She put her own authority. So at one level, we want to look at that's the principle. Be very, very careful about that subtlety of Satan that the word of God is not sufficient to tell you how to live, and we can deny it. There's a second level of Satan's denial of God's word, and that is the actual denial itself. You shall not die. 
You surely shall not die. In the Hebrew language, this is emphatic. It can be translated this way. You will positively not die. I mean, Satan was not mincing words here. He said, you will positively not die. And you know what? Some people have wondered about this. Some people have wondered if Satan wasn't correct because Adam and Eve, we know, ate, and they didn't drop dead that day. So the thinking is, well, I guess Satan was right. But no, he was absolutely wrong. They did die. They did die. They died spiritually that day. They absolutely died spiritually that day. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is when no longer are you in fellowship with God. You're, you're physically alive. You're moving. You're breathing. You're doing things. But spiritually, you have no connection with God. You're, you have no fellowship. There is no relationship. You are separated from God. And, and that's why I can recall before I came to know Christ as uh, an 18-year-old freshman at the University of South Florida, why, uh, thinking God is so far from me. I wonder why. He's so aloof. I know why now. Because of my sins, I was separated from him. That's why God seems so remote. He was remote. He was remote. But it wasn't his fault. It was my fault because of sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, Nobody puts it any better than the Apostle Paul of, of what humanity is. The people that, um, that, that you live next to, the people that you work with, the people who don't know Jesus Christ, this is their condition. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says, this is the way you were. You lived, you breathed, you were alive physically, but you were dead spiritually, just like everybody is now who doesn't know Christ. Among them, he said, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That, folks, is humanity. The day that Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they did die. They did die spiritually. And if God didn't intervene when they died physically, they would pass on to a Christless eternity and they would be dead for all of eternity for there is no second chance. But it's also true that on the day that they ate of the forbidden fruit, their bodies began to die physically. The process started. So they didn't die physically that day, but that's not what God intended to uh, convey anyway. But the process started. Their bodies continued to function, but death and decay would set in. Now, let me, let me ask you a, a question which I think is legitimate. Does state, Satan still perpetuate this lie today about no death, and let's take it a step further, no judgment? Certainly he perpetuates the lie that there's no judgment. No judgment. But how about the thought that there is no death? Now you may think, well, that'd be absurd. Nobody would buy into that. I want to suggest that millions of people have bought into that. Anything to avoid our accountability to God, huh? Anything to avoid judgment. Anything except submitting to God. That's human history, isn't it? On our next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this lesson about the fall of mankind as we consider some of the crazy ideas people have invented to deal with death ludicrous ideas that ought to make us cry over their ultimate results. I'm glad you could tune in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in some Sunday if you're in the area. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Get service times at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Again, that's lakesidechapel.com 
or call 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we're grateful to the generous listeners whose gifts keep us on the air. If you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, we have a convenient giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. There's also a message archive page where you can download or stream any of our previous broadcasts for free. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you'll join us next time for a comparison between following our hearts versus following God's Word. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. If we see this world through our own eyes, we'll be riddled with fear and doubt. But if we see things as God does, we can live with power, security, purpose, and hope. That's the promise of Romans 8.28, and it's the focus of Dr. David Jeremiah's Making Sense of It All.